0: man it's good to have you this morning we're gonna jump in here i've got quite a few notes now as we as we talk today there's going to be some difference of opinions imagine that uh and and in the difference of opinions it's okay to have a difference of opinion uh this this one can can get controversial in a hurry uh i've gone through it and kind of cleaned it up a little bit and i still have six pages of notes um, there are a lot of theories, a lot of thoughts on the damned. Now, you understand when we, when we say the lion and the lamb, the witch and the damned, and the wardrobe, that the witch and the damned, that's the bad part of my message series. You got that? So the witch, when we talked about the Jezebel spirit last week, hopefully you were here and you heard that. I want to I wanna talk about that Jezebel spirit just for a moment, because I told you that there were two innate traits that man and women both have so so the the man trait that happened in the garden which one what what was it any of you remember what what do we fight against today was in were any of you here i mean we got a big group this morning (laughs) you don't remember uh there it is there it is yeah passivity So men really battle passivity. I I went back to Adam and I said, look, uh, this was a problem with Adam. He became passive. He was given two commands for the garden to cultivate and to keep. And when he became passive, a serpent entered the garden and that serpent deceived his wife. Now, Eve is going to battle with what? So So there's an innate trait that we men battle, but there's also an innate trait that the women battle. What is that? Trait or characteristic right it's control there's a word i'm looking for desire there it is desire remember um so that word desire is only used a couple times in in the hebrew form in the old testament and it's used first in the curse of eve all right and your desire will be for your husband and that means for his position for his place of authority that's what that word desire means. Then you go over one more chapter over into chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, and you'll see desire is used again, and it's used towards Cain. And remember, uh, the Lord tells Cain, he says, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you to stretch over, to control, to, uh, uh, to create chaos, right? And so um, the women actually, it's just an innate trait. So when your wife comes home and says, hey, Get off the couch. This is a common conversation, not in our house. I'm just saying, okay? Get out of your chair, right? We need to take the trash out. And then you get up and you go to take the trash out, and your wife just happens to say, this doesn't happen, of course, this doesn't happen in my house. But then your wife says, and when you get done with that, we're going to go. We're going to go to Walmart. We need to get dog food. We need to get the list, uh, and and we're going to let... Wade being charged, not this happens in my house, I'm just giving you a scenario, okay? But you understand, they, they immediately want to start leading, a woman will lead if in passivity. And so men, even in our country today, we watch the NOW and, and the other women organizations march here a few months ago, or maybe a month ago, six weeks in protest with all the signs, some of them dressing up like female organs and all that stuff going on, it's just nonsense. But when the men are passive, what happens is the women will step out because it's an innate trait. So don't be shocked when you see it. Don't say, oh, my gosh, what in the world happened? We've got to look at, at, at both end here. And both end is, is simply that if a man is passive, a woman, her desire is to take control. So uh, this has been awesome revelation, by the way, in my marriage. Uh, years ago, I discovered this. And uh, Allison and I sat down. I said, I want to share some things with you, you know. I want to talk to you about this. You ever just want to, and I know her answer. I mean, y'all see her on the worship team. She, Allison's an excellent leader. I mean, she'll just tell you how it is and go on. Uh, she doesn't really get caught up in feelings, which for a woman is, praise, bless God for that, right? Yes, I do sleep with a worship leader. But the, the, the thing about Allison is, is, is uh, when we talk about this, she, she completely recognizes it within herself now and and recognition will take you to a place of awareness and to me awareness is the first step of responsibility in it so if we can recognize our disability if you will of passivity then we can start doing something about it we can we can become aware about it and we can be responsible with it amen all right good so men, we've talked about the line um remember the lions don't lose sleep over the opinions of sheep men we are called to be lions People are going to have opinions about the line of the tribe of Judah within you. But we don't lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. Lines don't lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. Now, I, I'm not using this in context of me being a pastor and you being the sheep. <laughs> okay, I might lose a little sleep sometimes over what one of you said or what one of you thought or what one of you is going through. But I'm talking about the world. Right? We're, we're going out to find the lost sheep. And bring them into the fold, but we don't lose we don't lose sleep over the, their opinions. All right, so we have a lion's heart. We talked about the lion's share. We talked about the lion's roar. Then we talked about the lamb, and all of us uh, hopefully have a greater understanding of the lamb. Lamb, remember, the more you understand about the lamb, the louder the lion roars within you. That was the statement. That was the big idea of that message all right revelation 5 5 the one of the elders said to me do not weep see the line of the tribe of judah the root of david has tried david has triumphed he is able and open he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals then i saw a lamb looking as standing as though as it had been slain so uh, i immediately ran you to that scripture and said the cool thing about this scripture is we see both the line and the lamb mentioned in it and both of them refer to jesus both refer to Jesus. Then I went through the crucifixion, took you a little further down that road. Hopefully you have a little more understanding on the blood of Jesus. Uh, Then we talked about the witch. That was the Jezebel spirit. That's where I started today. Um, I talked about a Proverbs uh, Proverbs 31, and most of us know the Proverbs 31 woman, and uh, seen it used at funerals. I used it at my grandmother's funerals. Prover- funeral, uh, Proverbs 31. But most don't know Proverbs 31, one through five. That was written to Solomon from his mother Bathsheba, and it says, "You better beware." This spirit got on me. I attracted your daddy. Laying out, your daddy was passive, didn't go to war, and I showed up at his doorstep naked not just naked but naked but anyway there there was a bad thing so she's explaining to her husband hey, or she's explaining to her son Solomon be careful and he wasn't careful he didn't he didn't take heed to that and we know how Solomon wound up so then we today I want to talk about the dam so we've talked about the lion and the lamb the witch and the dam today and next week we'll talk about the wardrobe but the damned, there are a lot of opinions out there about the ones who are truly damned. Early on, some of the early theologians believed you were born and it was already predestined where you would go. You go to heaven or you go to hell? There's nothing in between. So early on, the theologians began to argue over this. Of course, uh, the argument was very, very strong going into the Protestant Reformation. That's one of the things that happened in the Protestant Reformation's, Reformation that separated even the Protestants. You had Wesleyan theology, which came in, which kind of based its theology, at least this part of it, on a man by the name of Arminian, and it was free will. So you either choose Jesus or you don't, but you've got the free will to do so. And then there was the predestined, more of a Calvinistic view of things that said you were predestined since before your birth whether or not you're going to heaven or whether or not you're going to hell. Now, I like Wesley's view. <laughs> I, I believe we have a choice. Man, it's a choice. And, and we have a choice to accept Jesus and all the good that comes with Jesus and, and accept that sacrifice of the Lamb and, and be able to, to be overcomers in this life, I, that's, that's the slant I take, so that's the slant you're going to get today. One of the things that uh, last week, and I've got to read this because you're going to like this, but from here on when I teach this message series, because I'll teach it again somewhere, some point in time, but uh, when I go back to the witch, I think a great statement, opening statement is what Scott gave me last week. Watch this. Women are incubators. They are reproducers. They are multipliers. What they are being fed is what they are multiplying. If you give a woman a house, she gives you a home. If you give a woman ingredients, she gives you a meal. If you give your wife yourself, she gives you a family. If you give a woman hell, she gives you damnation. (laughs) That's pretty stout. Women multiply what they are fed. What you put in is multiplied whether it is good or bad. And so I appreciated that from Scott. Thank you, Scott. That man, you just added to this message today. So, so what I see in that is, is this. I, I like the part. This is what we're talking about today. If you give a woman hell, she gives you damnation. So when we talked about Jezebel and King Ahab, what do you think happened to King Ahab? It's time to get up, Billy Joe. What's that? The dogs hit him, right, along with Jezebel and plucked out the eyeballs. Anyway, uh, so when you, when you look at this, there was damnation. And the damnation wasn't just a futuristic thing in his life. It was happening right then. His passivity created damnation. What he sowed into her or didn't sow into Jezebel created a spirit that, that he would, would one day walk in and he would be convicted of. his his entire life so it happened during his livelihood as well as futuristic so damnation I just want you to hear something damnation you may be walking in damnation today I believe it's a choice and and when we're more aware of what creates damnation in our life where we can become responsible to overcome it or allow the line of the tribe of Judah, let me say it that way, in you to overcome it. Some of you have married uh, a Jezebel. I'm not, I'm not picking on anyone. Just saying, they're out there, right? And, and they've created so much chaos in your life that it's difficult for you to live your life for Jesus because you're concerned every day about going home, one, if she's there, two, am I going to have to walk on glass again and get all cut up, three, am I going to say the right things to her in order just to make peace for tonight? I, I don't know if it's her hormones. I don't know if it's just who I'm married. I, I don't know what's going on. And young men, if you're not married, pay attention to this because even with young women, prior to marriage, you will see that, that willingness to want to take over in the relationship and certain areas of the relationship. Now, the reason I, I share this with you is because, now listen, the damnation that you might be walking through is not always created through your passivity. It may have been created through your choice. So I started here talking about freedom of choice, right? And so I'm not telling you to run away from it. What I'm telling you is the line that's within you can overcome it. And, and, and so there are ways that we do that. Now, a woman's predisposition is this desire to rule over and to take your part of the garden. A man's predisposition is passivity. We can't be passive when we recognize this spirit that, that, that attacks oftentimes our wives. Now, I don't believe that spirit is a Jezebel in all cases. I think sometimes it's just recognizing that, that desire, that innate trait that's in every woman. All right? Some of you feel damned today. Uh, you feel like maybe you married a Jezebel. Probably didn't marry a Jezebel. Probably just fighting some of the things of the world. A Jezebel spirit is very strong. Matter of fact, a Jezebel spirit will not only take your position, but it will look to take the position of other men. So it'll be looking to, to, to rule in every way it can. It's going to want the battlefront, which, by the way, is where men belong, not women. Through our passivity, see, women now, uh, in some cases, can occupy the front lines, in some cases. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any would perish, but for all to come to repentance. So in 2 Peter, Peter's telling us something. He's saying, hey, uh, it's not the Lord's wish that any of you would suffer. That is not God's wish for you. His, His wish for you is that you would come to a place of repentance, that your wife would come to a place of repentance. And repentance means to change your mind. It comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to change your mind. So now I'm going to put my mind off of my problems and off of her and everything else. I'm going to put my mind on Christ, and I'm going to learn his ways to pray over my wife, to pray over this spirit, to pray over our country, to pray over the world. I'm going to find his way because God wishes that none would perish. Any of you know John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not, what, perish but have everlasting or eternal life. So it's, it's God's, God's way is, is the right way, and he doesn't want anyone to perish. But we've got to talk about perishing because in, in heaven and on this earth, there is a hell that many of you walk through today. And here's what we don't want. We don't want you to still be walking in hell tomorrow. If we don't teach on this stuff, then we run a risk of not just losing you for today, but losing you for eternity. You know, uh, let me just go on. So God doesn't want anyone to perish. Perishing might look different according to Scripture, okay? So we're going to talk a little bit about hell today. We're going to talk a little bit about damnation, all right, and the definition of perishing. Before we do, I just... uh, you know, hell, it has been used as possibly the number one evangelical tool in Western Christianity for years. Do you know that? So if I want to get your attention, I could just jump in here and say, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You're going straight to hell when you die. You're going to burn up. You're going to be like taff. You're going to be smoked, right? You're going to smell like smoke for eternity. Now, that gets your attention. I mean, I I listened to that sermon many times. I'm like, I don't want to go there. What's going to get me out of hell, right? It's been an evangelical tool, but why don't we teach on the love of God? And as we teach on the love of God, people begin to walk in the love of Christ, and they become overcomers and don't even have to worry about hell except when they see it on someone else when they see damnation on someone else, then we can go to our brother in Christ and say, hey, I've seen this on you, I want to pray over you, I want to encourage you, and I want to help you get through this time or season in your life. See, many of us came to Christ not out of our understanding of who he is and who he was and who he is to come, but out of our fear of eternal damnation and hell. Some of you older ones know, back in the 50s and 60s, that was the number one call. You better get saved or you're going to hell. It's interesting to me that Jesus didn't say go into all the world and get them saved. He said go into all the world and make disciples. And discipleship is a process where we grow. And it's important to accept Christ by all means. But from there we go on to become disciples, which teaches us to be weary of the things of this world and watch for the things of God and learn to walk in those things. I've got, uh, there was a book written some years ago called 23 Minutes in Hell. I think it was actually seven minutes. But anyway, I think the book's called 23 Minutes in Hell. And I've got a little video for you here.
1: Bill is a man of integrity. He has been the best example to me of a godly person. Well, we went to a prayer meeting like we normally do Sunday night. And came home like any other ordinary night, went to bed. 3.23, I awoke and I found my husband in a state that I've never, ever seen him in. I heard him scream out, Pray for me, pray for me, the Lord has taken me to hell. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I was picked up and taken by the Lord and dropped off in a prison cell in hell. It was rough-hewn stone walls with bars. I was awake and cognizant. It was not a dream. I knew I was actually in this place. My mouth was so dry. And I noticed the first thing was the tremendous heat. There's not enough air. This is how you have to breathe in hell. It's like, uh, uh, uh. and I noticed there were these huge creatures in this cell and they were just cursing God. Then they directed that hatred towards me and they had absolutely no mercy. One picked me up and threw me into the wall. The other one grabbed me picked me up. I just was like a little rag doll in its clutches and I noticed the darkness was so intense and there was an evil presence about the darkness and you could feel it. I could see flames in the distance. Flames were raging hundreds of feet in the air. I could hear millions of people screaming. I could see their outlines of people through the flames and they're burning, literally burning. I was underneath a tunnel and there were demon creatures chained to the walls. There were people falling one after another back down in the tunnel and that's when I was just being lifted up and that was the Lord lifting me out of the place I was so grateful that he just rescued me out of hell and I said Lord why did you send me to this place and he said because many people do not believe that hell exists even some of my own people do not believe hell is real I want you to go and tell people that it's not my will that anyone go there I'm a very conservative person by nature So to be identified with something that's seemingly so wild as this, it's uncomfortable for me to really explain it. It gave me a much more of a fervency to witness. God's now given us this ministry together, which has been a blessing to see people commit their lives to the Lord. It's not important for people to believe my experience. The most important point is that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die so that we wouldn't have to go. God's a loving God. He didn't intend for you to go to hell, but you have a choice. Choose
0: life. All right, uh, that probably got your attention. Maybe we ought to just have an altar call right now, right? Uh, it's it's a scary thing to even think about. When I was young, I uh, and I don't even know why we watched this, but it was on the TV. I was probably I'm guessing eight or nine years old, uh, too young to to watch a movie, but it was called um, Beyond and Back. Any of you see that show or that movie, Beyond and Back? And it's about people who had died and had. Uh, after death experiences and came back to life you know it was resuscitated or whatever and it talked about what they saw and a couple of people saw hell and it scared me I was like holy cow is, is hell really that bad well I want to talk to you today about hell I want to talk to you today about heaven I want to talk about damnation I've kind of covered damnation because damnation simply means this that that if you are damned okay, at at the moment or in eternity, then then basically it is walking through hell in your life. Uh, Mark Twain said this, Mark Twain said, uh, he's talking about Chicago, and uh, I could say, I could say something here, maybe you can read between the lines. But he said, the trouble with Chicago people is that you think you are the best people down here, whereas you are merely the most numerous. Speaking of hell. I thought that was kind of funny, but you didn't. Take that out. (laughs) A.W. Tozer. Many of you know Tozer great theologian, uh, written several books out there. He said, The vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for for the the consciences of millions. There have been times when I've carried the mantra myself, I'd rather scare them into heaven than see them go to hell. And I've preached that. But here's the thing, we're called to make disciples, and we have to remember that as we disciple, hell becomes a distant memory, honestly. I don't imagine too many of you go to sleep at night thinking about hell, unless it's the hell you're living with. Anyway, you you might think a little bit about it in that way. But this presents only two options, that we scare into heaven or we go to hell. And that's not what God wants for us men. See, when hell is mentioned, it's amazing to me how people listen to it. Hell today holds many ideas. Some feel hell is the absence of God in any form. It's an abyss where God is is no longer located. Others feel hell is a place where people burn in fire for eternity and are tormented by little devils. That's what I thought hell was. But two views and main lines today is this. There are the infernalists, and that's an actual thing. You can look this up. But there are the infernalists, which mean... That, that they actually believe in unending torment and fire. Now, it's God's will that none would perish, but we know that the Lord says vengeance is mine, so there is a vengeful part of God. We know that he sent his son that no one would be lost, but some will choose to be lost. And then there are those, the second type of people are, thank you. If you can say that word, uh, (laughs) you're better than me. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So rather than just just mess it up, uh, I know what annihilate means. Annihilationism is a tough word to say. Unbelievers will be eventually annihilated and no longer even exist. Uh, That would be better than burning in hell for eternity. So uh, choose one and believe in it. I'm just kidding. All right. But hell, here's the interesting thing about hell. The word hell is not even mentioned in the Bible. I, uh, the word hell isn't even in the Bible. That's right. The word hell, it's not in the original Hebrew or Greek text. But now the place or location is. Alright? There are three words used um, in the Greek or three three words used throughout the Greek and Hebrew, and you've heard of them. In the Greek, it's Hades. You ever heard of Hades? all right and then in the hebrew sheol which kind of surprise is surprising because sheol in old testament scripture i took a class on this in in north carolina and uh one of the uh things about sheol it's also a holding place just a simple holding place it's kind of where purgatory uh came from that thought anyway and then there's gehenna which is actually a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. That's, that's what hell was. It was a garbage dump where those who were homeless and those who were looking for something to eat, where would they go? They'd go out here to this place of Gehenna, and then they would, uh, you ever heard of gnashing of teeth? They wouldn't have teeth or anything else, but they'd eat anything they could. Right? And so that's, that's, those are the metaphors that, that are basically used in Scripture. But hell is both a place and a condition. I want you to hear this. It's not just a place, it's also a condition. Hell can be what you're living in at home right now, or possibly going through uh, in your job, your work, your, your place. No doubt, it can be a condition. It's also a place. So I wrote this question, how can a God who is pure love conceive and sustain a hell? It sounds like I love you, but if you don't love me back, I'll burn you forever. That's pretty rough, isn't it? And we're gonna don't I'm gonna try to unpack this. So just stay with me. The most prevalent teaching about hell in our history of the American Church is hell is a place where God is absent. Where God is absent. Where people are shut in prison, and where the fire burns hot. Colossians 1 says this, and this is important scripture. Colossians 1.15 through 7. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So, is God in hell? <laughs> Man. I don't know if I can unpack it or not. Nothing exists that is not held together and sustained by its creator. So if it is the absence of the creator, then it would cease to exist. Would you agree with that statement? It's a big statement. Probably should have put this one up there, too. Nothing exists that is not held together and sustained by its creator. So if it is the absence of the creator, then it would cease to exist. If the absence of the Creator is there, it would cease to exist. And God is omnipresent. So, as we go through this, I want you to see some things. Second Thessalonians, you don't have to write these scriptures down, I'm just going to give you some examples here. Second Thessalonians 1, 9. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. This is the Apostle Paul. He's talking to the church at Thessalonica. And he's he's talking about the people who who don't surrender to Christ and His glory and who they are. He says, hey, there is a penalty here. Right? Genesis 4, verse 16. We talked about um, Cain. And you remember what the Lord told Cain? I told you this earlier this morning. But he says, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you. And he went on with that desire. He was overcome by that desire of sin. He kills his brother. And notice what happens. It says, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. He had a choice, but he chose the other. Jonah, chapter 1, gets right into it. It says, Jonah went out from the presence of the Lord. He chose to step out of the presence of the Lord of the Lord it was a choice so what does God command of us he says to love your enemies bless them that curse you do good to them who hate you Matthew chapter 5 oftentimes we say vengeance isn't just you Lord vengeance is mine now what happens when you love your enemy what does that do to your enemy heaps coals on their head good I'm getting there awesome so so here's what we know Jesus is showing us a different way And he's showing us that some will actually choose. And you're seeing it today, man. It's the reason why I believe this message series really got on my heart. Because when I watch uh, women march and I watch other people march and I watch people stomp on the flag, this isn't about the United States of America, but it is about respect and honor and knowing that the vision of the values. Listen, I read a lot of historical books. I'm in one right now. God's providential hand set us up as as a country and I can give you example after example after example so that we could be not just a safe haven, but that we could pull the church together in order to go out and impact the world. Now, he started, yes, with Jerusalem. I get it. If you want to take it even back further with Bethlehem, I, I get all that. However, I will say that we need to recognize these things and understand that, that God wants us to walk in his presence at all times, understanding that everything is held together by Him. And so, I'm not trying to make a, a political statement here. I'm not interested in politics because ultimately, every, God's concerned about every single country. I'm just saying the vision and values that formed this country were biblical because they knew something. They knew that we can choose to walk in His blessing and that it's a choice. Hebrews 12 29 our God is a consuming fire the reason I put that in there is for you to see that fire is oftentimes attributed to hell but it's also attributed in scripture to who to God all right our God is a consuming fire God is a fire God is love therefore that fire is love the logic is clear. Would you view? Would your view of hell change if the fire were actually in the presence of those in eternity who still loathe God, who despise God, who don't want anything to do with God as they are engulfed in the flames of divine love? That's a big statement. <laughs> I know it's deep, guys. I, mean, I love it. We're on the men's retreat this weekend, and let me just loosen you up a little bit. A couple of you guys came up to me and said, Curtis, you know, <laughs> We feel like the Lord's put on our heart that you just take us deep and you just keep taking us deeper and as you go deeper, the pressure gets more and more, right? So a little bit of pressure here, I get it. And it's early on a Tuesday morning of all things. Why can't this be Friday? But just stay with me. So, could it be, since our God is a consuming fire and our God is a God of love, as a matter of fact, God is love. Anything less than love is not God, man. I say this a lot but it's true. Now his love looks different than our earthly love. It's far beyond what, what you can even imagine. Agape, I've said this many times over, but agape in the, in the Greek, that form of love is only a God love. There is no love outside of that. Not, not, not a God love. So anything less than that is not love. So our God is a consuming fire. He is love, and that's why I said this. Look, would your, would your view of hell change if the fire were actually in the presence of those in eternity who still despise God? People will continue to reject God until life is done here on earth. I don't like that fact. That's why we're called to go and make disciples and show them the way, but it, it, it happens. So could it be that they're engulfed in the flames of hell his divine love psalm 136 in psalm 136 36 times this is what that that scripture says his mercy endures forever his mercy endures forever so we tend to think hell is a place of torment right yeah it is a place and it's a place of torment but the torment may look different than what you suppose or what I suppose. God is actually the inescapable presence of his love, that you would be trapped in the inescapable presence of his love. You see, God opposes the proud but gives grace to who? The humble. The prideful will not accept God's grace, his love. They will continue to reject and they will continue to burn. Romans twelve twenty. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's tough, isn't it? Come on, man, I'm not a whole lot different than you. I could tell you how close my guns are to every door. Somebody come in pointing a gun at me. I'm not going to say, I love you. You want something to eat? It's, I, you know what i mean i mean but look i also don't want to be passive <laughs> right I, I, my garden is 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 my household it's what god has given me so sure i'm going to protect it sure i am now in this I, I, I what he's talking about your enemy if your enemy's hungry then feed them that we have all kinds of enemies out there that that because of the hardened hearts that they have they will never repent like we said earlier, and turn back to the Lord. And so you're not going to win their heart by pointing a gun to their head. You're not going to win their heart by depriving them. You're, you're going to win their heart by showing them another way. God is about salvation, but he's also about discipleship. And as we walk through our discipleship, what you will see, our others will begin to walk in salvation. It's, it's, it's a cycle that just keeps going. Now, here's the problem with just preaching salvation: is we don't have people walking out their discipleship. You want to know why the church in America uh, doesn't flourish and doesn't grow? Because for thirty years, our church fathers—and I, I, I'm not just after—I'm not even saying all of them—they were good disciples themselves, but they taught so much on save yourself from hell. So we have this salvinic message that has gone forth and it needs to go forth but we've not taken time to disciple people in their walk so that they recognize that they have the line of the tribe of Judah they have the lamb of God within them and they can now recognize those who are damned and they can walk out their salvation but most importantly their discipleship in front of those and bring them into their salvation see when you try to scare people and don't show them the love of God Why would they ever want to come to a God that is so vengeful, that is so hateful? Loving actions towards an enemy, it really does feel like burning coals being heaped on their head. If they continue to reject, they continue to refuse, they continue to serve false gods, and they want you to do the same, then what happens when you love them, when you show them, when you share with them? a different way, the one true God, well, if they continue to reject, they just burn. It just sets them on fire. You ever, I, I remember the first fight that my wife and I got into that I completely lost. I'm talking about, I just got beat up. I, I, we, I, I go home, we're going after it, you know, and, and I've never yelled. I don't yell at Allison. It would be rare for me to raise my voice. That's not how we fight. Um, I don't. I, I don't ever call her anything. Name calling is not allowed in my house, and hasn't been since I got married. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. These are some things that God deposited in me before I got married. I think that's why I was 28 before I got married. If I'd have married any time before that, no telling what I would have said and destroyed. Right? I had the capability for sure. Probably still do. <laughs> anyway, but I remember the first time that that we really got in a quarrel where I where I where I lost because she said some things and I went, oh my gosh, she's right. But I can't let her know that she's right. <laughs> and what did it do? It set me on fire. I'm burning and I try to come, come from a different angle, right? Maybe, maybe I can make sense of this if I come from a different angle. But I could not come from an angle where I was right. She was right and I just caught on fire. I remember just melting, and, 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 I, and I said, we never leave the room until we're done with the argument, or at least that we've reconciled to a place of peace. <laughs> and I left the room. I went out in the barn, and I was just I was just going, man, look, I cannot win this. As a matter of fact, it got worse than that. If you want to know the whole story, I went out into the pasture, and I was sitting out in my pasture, and I called my prayer partner. I said, dude, I... I am on fire right now, and I, I can't go out. I'm mad, and I'm wrong. But I don't want her to know that I'm wrong. And he was like, you better get back in there, but let me pray for you before you go back in. Anyhow. Right? Because that's what it does. It heaps coals. God has a different way. So let's talk about eternity, and let's talk about the now for just a minute. God doesn't know zip codes. Yeah, you know, I, I I love the eight hundred six. Or, or 79015 I guess that's the zip code the other one's the area code isn't it okay I like it all but anyway I'm from the 806 I like to say that uh matter of fact I got a little rap song if y'all want to hear it about the 806 <laughs> okay anyway you probably don't I <coughs> this is being recorded so Daniel chapter 7 verse 10 says this a river of fire was flowing now Daniel is a, is a prophet, of course, and what Daniel sees here, uh, just, just pay attention to, to what he's describing, and I think you'll figure it out. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Uh, who is him? Good, God. It's God. So, he's, so what you see is you see a river of what flowing? Fire. So what would that fire be? Love. Good. Man, you guys, y'all woke up this morning, praise God, hallelujah, glory. So, so this is what it says, thousands attended him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. So here's a river. The Ancient of Days is sitting on his throne, which itself was ablaze with flames, by the way, men, and from that flaming throne flowed a river. Everyone is in the presence of this river. There are no subdivisions. You can't get away from it. The raging fire of river, it's that river of agape love, and it ministers to him. And an even larger group is standing by, but everybody is there in the presence of his burning love. Some receive his love, but listen, others will reject it. Even in the heavenlies, others will reject. There's there's a lake of fire. You remember uh, in Revelation where, where Satan is about to be cast down. He's he's locked up for a thousand years. It's known as the millennial reign of Christ. And then then where are they cast? They're they're cast back into that pit. But in all of that, in all of that, they're cast into a place of possibly his burning love. Because those who are cast in there, some of them live through the millennial reign of Christ, where Christ is actually reigning, and yet in his presence they still reject him. In the book of Revelation, you can go read this, they still reject him. They reject the ultimate personhood and godliness of love. They just reject it. There will still be people who are standing by that river that are burning up. You ever burned with jealousy? Some of you have, some of you haven't don't (laughs) but you know what that feels like right some receive his love others reject it but he loves nonetheless what else could he do Thomas Merton says this he says our God is a consuming fire and if we by love become transformed into him and burn as he burns his fire will be our everlasting joy But if we refuse his love and remain in the coldness of sin and opposition to him and to other men, then will his fire, by our choice rather than his, become our everlasting enemy, and love, instead of being our joy, will become our torment and our destruction. You ever known you were supposed to love and you didn't and you started tormenting over it? (laughs) That wasn't, we'll need to edit that, okay. <laughs> You've been there. I'm just telling you, you know what it feels like. It And guys, here's the thing. This type of talk and teaching is not new. On the contrary, I, this also is very old. I started out with some ancient teachings on damnation, what it looked like. But, but this right here is old as well. As a matter of fact, in the Eastern Church, some of you know who Polycarp was. Polycarp was one of the earliest Christian writers. He actually followed John, and eventually Tertullian would pick it up in the 2nd century of what Polycarp wrote about. But he wrote on these things. The 7th century theologian, um, Isaac the Assyrian, he said this, I say that those who are suffering in hell are suffering and being scourged by love. It is... Totally false to think that the sinners in hell are deprived of God's love. Love is a child of the knowledge of truth, and it is unquestionably given commonly, uh, commonly to all. But love's power acts in two ways. It torments sinners, while at the same time it delights those who have lived in accord with it. Now back to Jezebel. I'm almost, we're going to make it through six pages of notes, man. I'm sure glad I cleaned this up for you yesterday. Jezebel (coughs) raged against what? What was she raging against? She's raging against God's love. Let me, maybe this is a better question to ask. It's not in my notes, but maybe this is a better question to ask. Where was Jezebel reigning? Who Who was king Ahab, king over? Israel who were the Israelites God's people come on man I mean I'm really not trying to trick you here I know I know it is early and and those you know it's Old Testament I get it right but here's the thing so if Jezebel were raging against God's people who her husband was king over why was she raging because the love of God was present And she was a Jezebel spirit, which is going to rage against God's people. But when you see the marches, when you see the spirit out there, men, listen to me. It's not us that are raging. It's them. It's them. That's the recognition in all of this. See, the Lord once told Israel in their state of rebellion, I am the Lord. I do not change. Malachi chapter 3. Now after the book of Malachi, prophets went silent. The Lord went silent for 400 years before, boom, John the Baptist burst on the scene. So one of the last things he says is, hey, I don't change. My love endures how long? Forever. So in thinking of hell or, or thinking of the damned, we can begin to see that God doesn't contradict himself. Does God's divine love finally run out? No, it's forever. Some people will experience hell, not because God is angry with them, but because they have chosen it. C.S. Lewis says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, they will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. God should be attractive. Love should be attractive, far more attractive than hell. 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He is a God that doesn't desire for anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance to change their mind. Ephesians 6, 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And if I could add anything to that, which you're not supposed to add to Scripture. So this is not Scripture, this is Curtis. Stand firm in His love. Hard place to stand. So, who is God to you? Are you a believer because of hell, or are you a believer because of the goodness and the love that He is? Man, we have the opportunity to take that love into a world, to recognize others are burning, but they're burning because of a choice that they're making to rebel against God. The Jezebel spirit is a strong spirit. And one of the things I've not said about the Jezebel is that because it's a spirit, it's not just limited to women. It was birthed out of that. But it's a spirit. And it's not just limited to women. You will see rebellion even in God's people. They once knew him is what Romans 1 says. Although they once knew God, they did not honor him as God, and he gave them over to the depraved mind, to their depraved mind and passions of their own desires. That's what the scripture says. Romans 1, you can go read it. You'll see it. But we have an opportunity to walk out our discipleship and watch their salvation come, where they learn to burn in love, and the one thing that's worth burning in is in God. Instead of rebelling against that, Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for being with us this morning. Lord, as we uh, see rebellion happening all over, Lord, we pray that we, our obedience, your word says obedience brings blessing. So, Father, I just pray that we'll be obedient to you, obedient to your love, obedient to your word, and as we do those things, Father, that we will see people catch on fire with you, Lord, just like the, the, the person who became cold. And the pastor goes over and, and takes a coal that's fallen out of the fire and put it back in the fire just to remind him that you too are to stay lit in God's love and share it. Help us to be those people. In Jesus' name, amen.